As I've come to know God better over the years, I'm so glad that God is known in the Bible as the God of miracles. The scriptures tell us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And one of the names of the Lord in the Bible is Adonai Nisi, meaning the Lord is my banner. Or another interpretation would be the Lord my miracle. And never have we needed Adonai Nisi more than now. God doesn't want us to return to normal. He wants us to return to him. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The name of God that's used most often in the Hebrew Bible consists of four letters called the Tetragrammaton, which is a Greek word meaning something written with four letters. The Hebrew letters yud Hey vav Hey are generally substituted in English Bibles with the word LORD in capital letters. This is because Jewish culture has forbidden and continues to forbid the pronunciation of this name, although the Bible doesn't make such a prohibition. But for fear of desecrating the sacred holy name, the Jewish people have built fences around the name of God. Jewish prayers replace the Tetragrammaton with the word Adonai, meaning majestic Lord. And in discussions amongst religious and pious Jews, the Tetragrammaton is replaced by a generic word simply meaning the name, pronounced Hashem in Hebrew. As I said, nothing in the Torah explicitly prohibits speaking the name of God, but rabbinic Judaism considers it just too sacred to be uttered. The rabbis also believe that at least seven names of God are so holy that once written, they should never be erased. These names include not only the Tetragrammaton, but also names such as El Shaddai and Yah, because the name Yah also forms part of the Tetragrammaton. And Yah appears as a transliteration in the books of Exodus, Isaiah, and the Psalms as well. Now the Tetragrammaton yud Hey vav Hey occurs 6,828 times in the authoritative Masoretic text. In English, the words God and Lord are written by some Jews as G-D and L-R-D, eliminating the letter O. These hyphenations provide a way of avoiding writing God or Lord in full, just in case the documents would be destroyed or trashed. Such precautions display great reverence for God. In fact, in Jewish tradition, the sacredness of the divine name is protected by the scribes who go to extraordinary pains when they copy the Torah scrolls. Before writing any of the divine names or titles on a scroll or parchment, a scribe must prepare himself to sanctify the work. His job is to be done without distractions and is never approached casually. Once the scribe begins writing a sacred name, he does not stop until it is finished, and he must not be interrupted while writing, even to greet a king. 
An error may not be erased. Instead, a line is drawn around a mistake to indicate that the error is canceled. And then the whole page must be put respectfully in a burial place for scripture. That's how careful the Jewish people had been in guarding this word of God for us. And I'm so very grateful. Now, in the Word of God, the Almighty is known by many compound names, such as Adonai Rapha, meaning the Lord who heals you, and Adonai Roy, the Lord my shepherd. And here's another favorite, Adonai Yaire, the Lord who provides. One of the compound names for God that I want to explore with you today is Adonai Nisi most often translated as the Lord, my banner. Now, this name was introduced by Moses in the Torah in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. Adonai Nisi, the Lord is my banner, could also be translated as the Lord is my miracle because the word Ness in the Bible is used to describe a victory banner, but it also means miracle in modern Hebrew. For example, on a dreadle, those little spinning tops that children play with during the festival of Hanukkah, there are written four Hebrew letters representing the phrase Neskadol Hayapo, meaning a great miracle happened here. So in Hebrew, a Nes means a miracle or a banner or an ensign. It's safe to say that all of us need a miracle from time to time, and it's important to keep our faith built up along these lines. Especially in these perilous days, we have to be sure that our faith is strong and not weak because we never know what's going to happen next to try our faith. It's absolutely necessary, I believe, to be like Abraham, whom the Bible described as strong in faith. God promised Abraham that in him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And what a fabulous promise that he should become the father of many nations. And the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed that both he and his spiritual seed were to be saved by faith and that one of his descendants would be the promised Savior, the Messiah. And Paul wrote in Romans 4.20 that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Unbelief didn't make Abraham doubt. Faith made him confident and strong. The Bible says he staggered not. In other words, he didn't waver. Now, great faith such as Abraham's honors God, and then God honors faith. The scripture says righteousness was imputed to Abraham because of his faith. And when we exhibit genuine faith, we give glory to God. The commentaries tell us that Abraham had the presence of mind to look away from his own frail, aging physical body. Instead, he looked only at God's wonderful promise. And so he didn't doubt the word of God. He believed God to be supremely powerful. He even believed that God could resurrect the dead. Abraham believed the promise that he would be a father of nations simply because God Almighty said so and his faith couldn't be shaken. How wonderful it would be for all of us if we could purpose to be like that. You see, he knew whom he had believed. It was God, the living God, his heavenly father, who was speaking to him, giving that promise. 
So he trusted that God would provide. And may we be strong in faith like Abraham. Although it was Moses who later gave God the memorial name, the Lord my banner or the Lord my miracle, Abraham had exhibited that same level of faith. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was his miracle worker, that God even had the power to raise his son Isaac from the dead should God require him to sacrifice his son, which we know, of course, that God didn't require. But instead, God provided a sacrifice. He provided a ram caught in the thicket at Mount Moriah. And that's why Abraham described God as Adonai Yireh, the Lord, my provider. Who will see to it? That was just another way of saying Adonai Nisi, the Lord is my miracle worker. Well, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, there are so many accounts of Jesus as our miracle worker. Take, for example, his feeding of the multitudes with five loaves and two fish. When the crowds who were following Jesus became hungry, his disciples suggested that Jesus should have no other choice but to dismiss the people. Their solution was to send them away to go home or to find something to eat. So the disciples' plan limited God. They just were unable at that point to imagine the possibility of a miracle. So let's not forfeit a miracle if our God is well able to perform one for us. Our situation may look impossible today, but the Lord, our miracle, will somehow, some way, work it all out for us. We just have to learn to know Him. And when we know His character, then we can surely trust Him. The miracle of feeding the multitudes is recorded in the Gospels to remind us that we can look to the Lord, our miracle worker, to help us, to supply for us in our time of need. And God wants to encourage us to step out and to use what little we have, even if it's a couple of loaves and fish, and then He will multiply what we have in our hands. Well, as with other compound names of the Lord, it's important to look at the context of Adonai Nisi. In the wilderness, the Lord had instructed Moses to strike the rock for water with his rod. Just think for a moment and bear in mind that this was the same staff that Moses had used to strike the Nile River and turn it to blood when he judged Egypt. In the culture of the Israelites, the rod was a symbol of authority. It was the tool used by shepherds to correct and guide their flocks. As we learn in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And verse 4 says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Moses' rod is mentioned in Exodus 4.2 while he tended his sheep, and in Exodus 4.20, it became his symbol of authority. As a matter of fact, the rods of both Moses and his brother Aaron were used as visible instruments of God's miraculous power during the plagues of Egypt. And God also commanded Moses to raise his rod over the Red Sea when it was to be parted. Then in our text today, Moses was in prayer because the children of Israel were attacked by their mortal enemies, the Amalekites. This was Israel's first war for survival after the Exodus. So Moses said to Joshua, his assistant, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites and I'll stand on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. 
Moses knew that when he stretched out that rod, the great general, our perfect protector, the Lord, would be with them. Otherwise, think how vulnerable they were marching through the wilderness with the women, children, and livestock. So with his hands and the rod outstretched to the Lord, Moses stayed on the hilltop as chief intercessor, while Joshua led the army in the battle below. Moses' struggle tells us a lot about the principle and power of prayer. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites prevailed. But whenever he got tired and dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So when Moses grew weary, along came the ministry of helps. Aaron and Hur helped to hold up his arms while Moses sat down on a rock. Thank God for other intercessors and the ministry of helps who come along to shore us up. Well, they did all of this until the sun went down and the Amalekites were defeated. So after the victory, Exodus 17, 15 records that Moses built an altar and he was inspired to name it Adonai Nisi. That's the word Ness, meaning the Lord is my ensign, my banner, my victory banner, my miracle. So why did Moses choose that particular word? It's a fact of history that armies marched into war with standards and insignia. The name Adonai Nisi signifies that the Lord himself is Israel's banner. He is their living miracle. When Israel's enemies fight them, they're fighting Adonai Nisi. In fact, Isaiah 59:19 declares, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. One commentary said that the significance of the victory was not in Moses' uplifted hands, but in the staff lifted up in prayer as a sign, a ness, signifying the presence of God, his rod and God's authority. Moses' uplifted hands also reflected an attitude of prayer and the upraised staff was a sign to the soldiers below as well. Now, this is fascinating. The rabbis point out the similarities between this verse about Adonai Nisi in Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 21 when the Lord sent poisonous snakes amongst the people because they had grumbled against him. And then after they repented, God commanded Moses to put a bronze snake on a pole. And the word for pole here in this chapter in Numbers in Hebrew again is ness. So that when the people looked upon this pole, this ness, they would be healed by that miracle. The lifting up of Moses' rod and the lifting up of Israel's eyes on the miracle pole, the ness, teach us that when we keep our eyes on the Lord, He will be our ness, our miracle, our banner. This really preaches because Jesus Himself referenced Numbers chapter 21 concerning his sacrificial death on the cross. He made this great connection in John chapter 3, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, where he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Then he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him to save the world. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Solemn words of Jesus. So here in this famous passage in John chapter 3, Jesus is comparing his cross to the pole, the ness, mentioned in the Torah in Numbers 21. The cross is a ness. It's a pole. It's a miracle. It's the place where we discover the miracle of our salvation. Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, is our Savior. He's our healer. He brings miracle-working power into our lives. The Lord is my miracle worker because he died for me, bearing the serpent's curse on a pole, on a nest, on a cross. And this brings to mind a testimony that I wrote about in my book, Miracles Among Muslims, a number of years ago. And I'd like to share that testimony with you because it's so relevant to the subject. During the Muslim fasting month of Ramadan, a young Muslim from Indonesia experienced a disturbing dream one night. He was tied to a chair with heavy, thick ropes. Suddenly, a man he recognized as Jesus touched the ropes and they just fell from his arms. And then Jesus said to him, go look for the pole. What pole, he asked. But Jesus simply reiterated, look for the pole. Well, the young man awakened from the dream, pondering the meaning of the pole, but he soon forgot about it because of the cares of life. But two years later, again during the Muslim fasting month, he had another dream in which Jesus challenged the young man. Why haven't you done what I asked? I told you to look for the pole. The young man said, where is this pole and how can I find it? He was very perplexed. And in the dream, Jesus pointed to a hill very far away and said, go, look for the pole. And so in the dream, the Muslim seemed to run for miles and miles and finally, Exhausted, he came to a clearing, and to his utter surprise, before him stood a gigantic cross. So this was the pole the Lord had been telling him to find. Well, the next day, the young man visited his mosque and asked the leader if he knew the meaning of the dreams and the cross. Very wisely, the imam replied, search for the truth. Then the young man asked, is the Christian Jesus the truth? But the imam just repeated, search for the truth. Well, the very next night, he dreamed again, and this time he saw a cemetery, and all the graves were decorated with crosses. But suddenly the graves were open, and resurrected bodies rose into the sky where Jesus was waiting for them. And the Muslim cried out to Jesus that he wasn't ready because he didn't yet have the cross. Awakening from this dream, he was greatly distressed. So he visited a church near his village, and he was given the gift of a Bible. And he opened it, and the very first verse he read was John 14, 6, where Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the point I'm making here, just to reiterate, I... I think this is so rich. In the account in the Torah, in Numbers 21, 8, 
When Moses raised the brazen serpent on a pole, the word translated as pole is the same Hebrew word translated as ensign, flag, and miracle. It's always a blessing to study Hebrew words. Those Israelites who looked on the serpent attached to the pole were healed. And that was a foreshadowing of the pole, the cross of Jesus. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we were healed and our sins are forgiven when we look to him. And when we realize that on the cross, he purchased for us healing, the antidote to Satan's bite, the poison of sin. The scripture says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So the pole, a nest in the Bible, is a sign of our miracle-working God, the cross. Moses overcame enemies with his rod, and Jesus overcame Satan with his cross. You see, Jesus died as the Lamb of God on the cross, and he was lifted up as Adonai Nisi, the Lord my banner, the Lord my miracle. And the Lord's resurrection declared his victory over death and the satanic realm. The resurrection was God's flag proclaiming the victory standard that would draw people into the kingdom of God. You see, in the scriptures, a flag or a standard was usually raised on a hill or a mountain around which people gathered in unity of purpose or identity. Each of the 12 tribes of Israel had tribal standards. And in ancient times, an ensign served as a rallying point for soldiers in battle. Today, Israel's flag is a banner of the Lord that the Jews are rallying to. And they're rallying to this flag, and they're rallying to this flag from all over the world, especially now as we witness the insidious increase of anti-Semitism once again. Well, Isaiah 5:26 declared prophetically that God will lift up a banner to the nations from far, and he will whistle for them to come home from the ends of the earth. Behold, it says, they will come speedily and swiftly. And it's happening, even as I speak, Israelis are making Aliyah, they are coming home. Also, Isaiah 11, 11 is an amazing, highly prophetic verse, proclaiming that God will set up an ensign for the nations, and he shall assemble the outcast of Israel and gather them, the dispersed of Judah, from the four corners of the earth. Well, every week, more and more Jewish people are returning to Israel. The psalmist said in Psalm 20 that the raising of a flag or banner was a declaration of victory over the enemy as the Jews raised their flag after the War of Independence in 1948 and after their victorious six-day war when they reclaimed their capital, Jerusalem. Again, here's an important prophetic word from Isaiah 49:22. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift my hand up to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom. Your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. And this verse is being fulfilled in our lifetime as we see Jewish people coming home to Israel with the assistance of evangelical believers and the lost tribes are being found and returning back to Israel. So God is raising up a banner for all the tribes to come home. Meanwhile, 
The hope of every believer is the second coming of Jesus. Because you see, the composition of the church is unique. The church was born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And at the rapture, the full number in the church will be completed and then taken out of the earth. Then it will be a time for God to fully redeem Israel. So we're living in times of transition. And we have to be sure that we're watchmen on the walls and that we are absorbing everything that God is showing us prophetically. We need to keep our minds renewed with this word. And I want to challenge you, have you been renewing your mind? How do we do that? By reading this word and allowing it to wash over and renew our minds. Divine health requires a constant renewing of our minds cleaning our minds from doubt and unbelief by rehearsing God's faithful promises and continually appropriating the Lord's atonement that he wrought for us on the cross. His atonement on that miracle pole includes not only forgiveness of sins, but also healing of diseases. Let's let that sink in and never dismiss his power. Romans 12:2 says, that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's declare, today I will be transformed. I will be transfigured, a new person with new habits, by the renewing of my mind through this word. Say amen. Well, the wonderful thing about a spiritual life and about prayer is that when we pray, we leave a world where sometimes our hands are tied and we're not really able to do anything but pray. And then we enter into a world with God's infinite possibilities. Hallelujah. So let's give all of our cares and concerns over to the Lord. I pray God will move in His mercy mightily and dramatically as only He can do in your life and show His goodness to you continually this week. Now, Father, we pray that today's program has been an encouragement and edification. And we pray right now for anybody who is sick or hurting. Lord, our miracle worker, in the name of Jesus, we pray for complete and total healing for anybody within the sound of my voice who's struggling right now physically, emotionally, mentally. Amen. And I want you to be encouraged today to know that God is a prayer-answering God. So let's not get involved in battles that don't belong to us, but know this, we do have a God, the Lord, our banner, who fights our real battles for us. Well, you can continue to find help at our website, exploits.tv. We report on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. And at our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer you a library of videos 24-7. And we also invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits. That's based upon Daniel 11:32, which declares that people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will accomplish exploits. That means we're going to do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before His imminent return. I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media. And please download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app on your phone or tablet. 
Well, today I'll leave you with Acts 3.19. Now repent and turn again to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing and revival may come from the presence of the Lord. Amen. Until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land.